Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Associate Pastor Chuck Coburn as he teaches from the Word of God. If uh, you cannot preach after that, there's something wrong. Something wrong with that. Thank you so much, Praise Team. Uh, Thank you so much, church. Um, Today is a day that has probably etched in a lot of our minds. Because 15 years ago today, the United States was attacked. 15 years ago today, our lives completely changed. For at least most of us about 20 plus years older, some of you then younger than 20, it may be just a history lesson for you. But for the rest of us, 9-11 will ever be ingrained and etched in our lives when those two planes struck the Twin Towers. You probably know where you were at during that point in time. I still remember to this day, I was in the office in Sopchoppy. We were back in Sopchoppy in those days. And uh, this was what I call BL before Lori. Um, Henry and Diane, uh, we heard the news over the phone because internet was not that popular back then. We went to my house, and at the time we got to my house, we saw the second plane hit the Twin Towers. Nobody could believe this was actually happening. In fact, some actually thought it was a farce, it was a fake, because how in the world could the most powerful, the most dominating country in the world with its military be attacked? How could that happen? And because it happened, from that time on now, we're always a little skittish when we go through the airport. We get a little apprehensive when we get around people who we think seem to be a little suspicious looking. Because that day changed our life. The reason that day changed our life is because we were not looking for that day. We weren't expecting an internal attack on America. We had planned for an external attack. And the reason why we planned for an external attack, because back on December 7th, 1941, which is only a history lesson for me, is when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Japan had an economic problem. They thought the only way to solve their economic problem would be to declare war on China, take over China so that they could then have the export trade to their own. We got involved in the war, never expecting us to be attacked. And just before 8 a.m., Pearl Harbor was attacked. After Pearl Harbor, the United States planned wholeheartedly, fervently, to make sure that nobody would ever, ever attack us externally. Subs in the water, ships out at sea, did an awesome job. The problem is we never thought about it coming from being internally, being attacked. And that's exactly what happened on 9-11. Now I just want to stop and say thank you to all of our military who protect us, who allow us to sleep safely at night. Thank you. And, and I want to just say a special thank you and welcome. EJ, where are you at? Stand up, EJ. EJ just is back from Ch- Japan. He's done a tour in Japan. He's home. 
EJ, thank you. You can be seated. Thank you for you men and women who protect us each and every day of our lives. We prepared for an external attack, but we did not prepare for an internal attack. Both the bombing of Pearl Harbor and 9-11 has taught us many things about our nation. These two events has taught us some great things about a nation. We have to prepare externally for an attack, and we also have to prepare internally for an attack. Just think about that. Since 9-11, there have been a lot of things that have gone on. Number one, there's the ongoing war in Afghanistan and Iraq that hasn't ended or probably will never end because it is a threat to us and our nation. There was also a deportation of over a half a million immigrants after 9-11. We were trying to protect ourselves and take care. You may not be aware of this, but do you rise? There are over 107,000 intelligent agency people now working. They monitor your phone calls. They monitor what you do on the internet. They're watching everything you do. And the reason they're watching everything you do is to make sure you're not doing the wrong thing. To make sure our country is protected. Not only that, probably the most important one was after 9-11, we developed Homeland Security. A 484-page document came out which involved 20 different agencies of America. And Homeland Security was designed, it was instituted to keep both you and I safe. That's why when you go in the airport now, you get frisked. That's why they check everything from top to bottom. And I, you know, guys, I'm, it's funny. I, uh, <laughs> I flew a couple years ago. I flew into Washington, D.C. And if you don't know, I'm a diabetic. I wear an insulin pump. And I went through D.C. with no problem with my insulin pump. They didn't ask me about anything. I could have been the Unabomber, the sneaker bomber. They didn't ask. I flew into Jacksonville International Airport, and for 30 minutes I had to explain what was attached to me, what was on me. Crazy. How did I fly into D.C. and get away with it, but I couldn't fly into Jacksonville? I don't know. That's Homeland Security for you. But I'm glad that they protect us. Church, we can learn a lot from Pearl Harbor, and we can learn a lot from 9-11. For you see, America became lax in what it was doing. We felt so safe. We felt so secure and comfortable and in our country that we grew lax in some areas of our life. And because we grew lax, we were threatened, we were attacked, and it forever changed our life. We cannot become lax or complacent in our spiritual life. If we do, we will be attacked and we will suffer great and grave consequences. Church, it's time. We must fight, and it's time to fight. We must fight for our nation. We must fight for our family. Not with our family, for our family. We must fight for our church. We must fight for our children. It's time we fight, rather than doing nothing at all. The Bible tells us in three different passages by the Apostle Paul, and we're going to kind of give you an overview this morning of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a great a, a man to follow after. And Paul tells us three different times about fighting. The first one is in 1 Timothy 6.12. And he tells us, 
for the fight for the good fight. Paul tells Timothy, a young preacher, we need to fight. Notice he doesn't tell Timothy that Timothy, you just need to be relaxed, just take it easy. He says, Timothy, you must fight for the true faith. And in the first Corinthians, he also says, thus I fight, not at one who just beats at the air. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, I'm a man of God and I just don't wing my hands like two little girls fighting. He said, Timothy, when I fight, I'm secure. When I fight, I'm precise of what I'm fighting for and what I'm fighting against. In church, we have to be precise of what we're fighting for and what we're fighting against. So often we do these blanket prayers. We just do these blanket things thinking, well, God, you'll take care of that. No, Paul says, when I fight, I just don't fight as I'm just kind of winging my hands. I fight precisely. I'm a boxer and I'm going to fight precisely. Then at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. Three times in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he tells us that we have to fight. We have to be about fighting for the kingdom. We have to be about fighting for the things. Now you may ask, well, what was Paul talking about fighting against? One of the things I love about our Bible is that everything that's written in our Bible is not a fictitious, fake story. Everything that is written from the Word of God is happened to somebody or it will happen someday. It's not a fictitious book. It is real, it is live, and what it teaches us will change our very lives. Paul says, I fight. I have fought. Well, what was Paul fighting against? What was Paul fighting for? Well, I just want to give you four things today that Paul was fighting against or fighting for. Well, number one, Paul had to fight against his past. You may not be aware of this, but Paul was a murderer. Paul killed Christians, publicly humiliated them, went after them. Do you have a past today? Do you have something that seems to always want to bring back to your memory when you're trying to move forward? Just when you think you can move forward in life, all of a sudden that past experience just kind of runs through your mind. It just kind of runs through your brain. It kind of just happens in your, in your place. Paul says, I know exactly what you're going through. I know where you've been. I was the man that when I traveled on my missionary journeys, I would face people who's probably relatives I had been there to watch stoned to death, killed. So how did Paul handle it? Paul says, simply, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, or I have not achieved the perfect Christian life yet. But this one thing I focus on, what? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. If you're struggling this morning with your past, you need to know first of all that Jesus has forgiven you. He has literally removed it as far as the east is from the west. That means it's infinity. It'll never meet. Christ has forgiven you. It's time you forgive yourself. Christ has forgotten about your past. He doesn't hold that against you anymore. And it's time you don't allow the devil to bring it back up in your memory so that he keeps suppressing you and pushing you down. Paul says, I forget it. Now, do you really think Paul forgot it like he had dementia and he just... No. Paul remembered what he had done, but what Paul remembered what Christ did was better than what he had done. Christ was greater in his life. And every time the devil tried to remember of his past, Paul would just say, no, Christ has forgiven me. I've forgiven myself. I'm moving forward. Church, it's time we forget about our past and we move forward. Do not let the enemy hang 
that over your head. The second thing that he had to deal with was his physical problems. Young people, it's coming. Believe me, it's coming. I have finally joined the elite group in my office. Priscilla's getting there. She's not there yet. I finally have to wear reading glasses in the office. 47 years old and I finally got to wear reading glasses. So, Paul had a physical problem. Paul's physical problem was so bad that he asked Christ three different times to remove it. And each time, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We all will have physical problems if we don't have them already. That is no excuse for us to sit idle and do nothing. You probably look to the person to the left of you, look to the person to the right of you, they probably have problems. Now don't look at them as mental problems, even if they're your spouse or your siblings. But we all have problems. And we're going to have problems. That's why they call it the golden years, right, senior adults? Because we give our doctors plenty of money as the golden years have come. It's gold for them, not for you. Paul struggled with his eyesight. He asked the Lord to remove it. And the Father said, nope, my grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for us, church. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you struggle with physically, God made you, He created you for a certain purpose and a certain plan in life. And we need to know that His grace will be sufficient. The third thing is that he also had to struggle with his peers. He also had to struggle with a lot of problems around in his job. Anybody have problems with a boss? Co-workers? They say that at our job. I haven't figured out who it is yet. Maybe it's me, I don't know. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Now, just so you know what Paul was saying, here's what he was saying. I have been stoned and left for dead. I have been beaten with rods three different times. I have been whipped with 39 lashes five different times. Jesus was done once, Paul five times. Paul was attacked by an angry mob. Paul received many death threats. He endured many hardships. He was shipwrecked. He was criticized. He was in prison for two years. So now how bad is your job really? Your job is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to you. It's time, church, that your problems aren't as big as you think they are. They're not. Listen, if Paul can go through all this and tell us that his sufferings are nothing to compare to of what the glory of God's going to give to him. It's the same in our life. Number four, Paul also had to deal with his old nature. And most of us have to deal the same way. Paul says, For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Paul says, I struggle in my spirit. So if you struggle sometimes in your spirit, rest assured, Paul did too. So when Paul tells us to fight, he's not telling you from just some 
fictitious, non-experiential point of view. Paul's saying, listen, I fight with things all the time. So when I'm telling you to fight the good fight of faith, I'm telling you from my experience. When I'm telling you to fight, I know what you're going to go through because I've been through that. When Paul ends up his message to Timothy and he says, I have fought the good fight, what that word fought means is that because I have done this job, therefore I will receive reward. In other words, the only way that you are ever going to have victory in this life is you have to fight. That's the only way. The only way that you're ever going to conquer the enemy is to fight. The only way that you're ever going to make it in life is to fight. There has to be a fight. I love what Michael English wrote years ago. It's a song entitled The Crown Without a Cross. He said, there's not a victory without a fight. There's not a sunrise without a night. There's not a purchase without a cost. And there's not a crown without a cross. Church, we have to fight. We have to understand that it is our job to fight. Now, so there's not, there's not confusion. We're going to talk a little bit about what I mean by fighting. Because a lot of times we fight the wrong fight. Man, we're fighting anybody and everybody, anything and everything. And that's really not the way God designed us to fight. God did not design us to fight battles. You know, a lot of us suffer a lot of casualties of war, fighting fights we never should engage in. We argue a lot, don't we? Have you ever sat down? For, I was thinking about this past week. I was thinking down. Let me think of all the arguments I've been in lately. Man, those are really stupid arguments. What did they really accomplish? Just my pride. Just so I could accomplish that I knew something somebody else didn't know. We fight a lot of unnecessary battles. We bomb abortion clinics. Does that really solve anything? No, it doesn't. We picket lines. Does that really solve anything? No, it doesn't. The way that we fight is through prayer. It's time we pray. We have been praying here on Wednesday nights lately, and we are seeing the results of us fighting on our knees. We have seen the results of us fighting on our face. Because the way a Christian fights is not with his fist. The way a Christian fights is on his face before the Lord. That's how we fight. We need to get before the Lord and pray. We need to seek Him and find Him and search after Him, and ask Him and beg Him what He requires out of our life. We're too busy fighting anything and everything but the right thing. And the right thing is just to get before the Lord and seek His face. Matthew chapter 7 is an interesting verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible or the passage because we see it a lot. And this is what it says in the NLT. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. So we see that we are supposed to ask. We are supposed to seek. You know, seeking involves something, doesn't it? It's real easy just to ask the Lord for something, but we're going to have to seek Him. We're going to have to really get involved and go after Him. And then we're going to have to knock. 
We're going to have to knock and just get to him and find out what's going on. But here's what I want us to focus on is actually verses 9 through 11. It says, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? You parents, if your children ask you for a loaf, would you give them a stone? Or would you give them a snake? Could it be possibly this morning, church, you're asking your father for a stone and a snake rather than the bread of life? Have you ever wondered maybe why your prayers aren't being answered? Maybe because you're asking for the wrong things. No, pastor, I know I'm asking for the right thing. Probably not. Because as Jesus so plainly puts it, that a father would never give his children something that would harm them or hurt them. And so if God is not answering your prayer, therefore He's not going to give you what's going to harm you or hurt you. And maybe it's time we rethink what we're praying for. Maybe it's time we ask the Lord what we're really asking for. Because maybe you're asking Jesus for a stone and a snake rather than the bread of life and a change of life. We have to learn to ask for the right things. And then... The second part of us, then there's some of us, we just don't fight at all. Some of us fight for everything, and some of us don't fight at all. I hate to tell you this, but you are involved. You can sit idle and get run over and get steamrolled by the enemy every day of the week, but you are involved in the fight, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. The problem is, is that most of us have allowed the enemy to basically beat us down, surround us, so that we think we have no way out. One of the things they teach in the military is that you never completely surround an enemy. Because if you completely surround an enemy and he realizes he's going to die, he will kill anything and everything before he dies. So what they learn is that you give him what he thinks is a way of escape, which is really not, so that he will not panic and do that. Well, here's what's happened. The enemy has completely surrounded you, so you've given up on life. You say, I failed at this, I failed at that, I'm not that smart, my home life's not that good, there's no hope for me. You've allowed the enemy to completely surround you with lies, you've allowed him to completely surround you with false accusations, and you've gotten to the place where you just say, I give up, life's over, I'm done. The problem is, you forgot to look at the one last side. And Moses did this. In the Old Testament, Moses looked to the right and to the left, but what Moses failed to do was to look up. We have to look up. Because there is no problem too hard for our Lord. There is no difficulty in your life that God cannot fix. But you have to be willing to understand this morning and know that the enemy has surrounded you. He's defeated you. He has brought you down into thinking that there's no hope for you. Poke the person next to you make sure they're still awake and alive. Are they awake? That means there's still hope for you. 
There is still hope for you. If you are breathing and living, there is still hope for you. There is no problem God cannot solve in your life. He can help you. He can fix you. He can give you the best life ever. But you have to know that the enemy is not your solution. It's the Lord. So what do we do? We get on our knees and we fight like a man. That's where it starts. We as people have to get on our knees and fight. That's where it starts. There's an old story that said there was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because they thought it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. It's not nobody else's job, but ours, yours, mine, to pray, to seek the Lord, to ask for His wisdom, to ask for His forgiveness, to ask for His guidance in your life. One of the best things you will ever do in life is pray and fast. Man, when you pray and you fast and you get before the Lord, life changes dramatically. I was just in a conversation yesterday with a with a person that they were struggling in their life and they didn't know what to do. And I said, I can tell you the answer. You may not want to hear it, but I can tell you. If you'll pray and you'll fast, God will answer you and God will help you. I said, it's a no-lose situation. If you pray and fast and your outcome doesn't change, you've grown closer to the Lord. He has spoken to you clearer than you've ever heard Him before and you will love Him more than you ever did just by praying and fasting. But that's what you need to do. And the person said, you're right, I do. I need to pray and I need to fast. Because when you begin to pray and fast, your outlook on life and your outlook about things around you will change. There was this young man. He was successful in his job, had a good family. Things were going well in his life. And all of a sudden, things begin to change. Things weren't going too good at work. He began to have problems at work. And he probably did like most people do. He began to make the, you know, the plans of how do I fix this? Maybe I need to stay later. Maybe I need to work harder. Maybe I need to work on this more. And he began to process things. At the same time, he was faithfully attending church. He was worshiping. He was praying. But really what he was doing is that he had his plan laid out and he had his mind made up. And he was trying to fit God into that plan. He was trying to work God into the way that he wanted God to go with him rather than asking the Lord. Well, finally, it got to the place in his life where he was depressed. He was ready just to throw in the towel and quit. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, why don't you pray and fast? And this young man started praying and started fasting. And what was interesting about this young man, that nothing changed at his job, nothing changed in his family. What changed was his direction in life, and he was now doing what the Lord wanted him to do 
rather than what He wanted to do. Do you realize the reason why we're depressed, the reason why we're defeated as a nation is because we're all doing what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And that's why our suicide rates are up, our depression rates are up, everything's up, is because we're too busy worried about me rather than worrying about the Lord and what God wants in our life. Church, it's time that we fight, that we pray, that we pray for our family, we pray for our children, we pray for our country. It's time we quit running from the Lord and we run to the Lord. And this morning, if the devil has beat you down, he has just really just hammered you away, it's time you come to know Jesus and allow Jesus to change your life. It's time you know that there is a hope. After all, if you can be beaten with stripes 30, 39 times, minus five, and yet say, I boast in my infirmity, man, Christ must have done an awesome work in His life. And He'll do the same in yours. He will change your life. But you have to be willing to fight. Because see, right now, the enemy's going to hold some of you in your chair this morning, and you're not going to want to get up and come forward. That's the fight. And you've got to learn to tell the enemy, I am tired of you beating me down. Today, I have victory, because I'm going to step out of my chair, and I'm going to go to that altar, and I'm going to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today, you're no longer going to beat me down with my past. I'm going to step out of my chair. I'm going to go to that altar and I'm going to get on my face and let God do a work in my life. Today is going to be the last day that you defeat me, Satan, because I'm going to get out of my chair and I'm going to walk forward and I'm going to allow Christ to do a work in my life. Christ wants to do a work in your life. And how do I know that? Well, let me just quote you what the Apostle said out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. He says this, I pray that from the glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And He, uh, and he may you have the power to understand and all of God's people should know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Pray with me. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.